0: This is The Bali Song, a show about human rights in the Philippines. I'm KP, and my pronouns are he and they. Beloved and venerable listener, first off, some great news. The results of the PET scan are looking good, but I can't say much more than that, so thanks for all the messages of support. As I mentioned in the last episode's intro, I've been reluctant to begin publishing. Part of that reluctance has been in fear of what I imagined to be the worst possible outcomes. But seeing the outspokenness and sharpness of other politically aware folks, especially folks younger than myself on TikTok, on hashtag junk law, has made me both hopeful for the future and courageous to take action, however small that action may be. In this episode, recorded on September 3rd, I speak with Bernadette and Yves of Malaya Movement about the Anti-Terror Law, which went into effect on July 18th. Although none of us are formally trained experts in Philippine law, it is easy enough to see how the terror law has changed both the policy and practice of the government of the Republic of the Philippines. Various individuals and organizations in both the Philippines and the United States have already come out against the terror law. The Malaya Movement has reported on its Instagram account that Representative Susan Wild of Pennsylvania, along with 25 other congresspersons, have already co-sponsored the Philippine Human Rights Act as of September 24th. It's astounding. But the PHRA needs to pass both the House and the Senate to become law. So, after listening to this episode, check out humanrightsph.org for more information on what you can do. That's humanrightsph.org. Uh, hello. I'm KP. Um,
1: hi, I'm Bernadette.
0: Hi, this is Yves. Uh, so thank you, Bernadette and Yves, for joining me uh, on this uh, recording session of uh, the Bali song. Uh, I really wanted to talk to you two about the anti-terror law and the uh, Philippine Human Rights Act. Uh, the two are quite intertwined, uh, which we'll, we'll get to that later. It's a really pressing issue. Uh, but I, I've known the both of you for at least a year, for no, two years now, um, uh, through Malaya Movement, which is I've seen, I've watched it grow in the time that it's, since it's uh, formed. Um, Maybe could one of you speak to like how, uh, what Malaya movement is today?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so um, the Malaya movement is a broad movement of individuals, different organizations and different formations. That are really united under the common objectives of defending human rights, democracy, and sovereignty in the Philippines. Um, so yeah, I mean, a little bit of background. Malaya was founded in um, 2018. Um, this was a time when you know Duterte has already um, abused his executive power. You know, the um, so-called war on drugs was already um, really amplified. Um, there was already so many human rights violations. Um, so various community leaders across the u s, you know academics, lawyers, faith leaders, student leaders, um even business owners, um, came together to um, form the Malaya movement to respond really to the growing fascism and looming dictatorship of Duterte. Um so Malaya movement has six points of unity, um, and these change and develop as the political conditions in the Philippines change. Um, but right now, the six points of unity, um, one, stop the killings. Um, that's really simple. I mean, I mean that's really straightforward is what I mean to say. So one, stop the killings. Um, two, say no to fascist dictatorship. Um, three, uh, scrap all of the de facto martial law policies that Duterte has implemented. So this includes like Executive Order 70, Memorandum 32, Um, And now the anti-terror law, which we'll talk about today um, in this episode. Um, Four, ending corruption in the practice of political dynasty in the Philippines. Um, Five, stand for genuine democracy. And six, um, defend Philippine sovereignty against all foreign powers. Um, So, yeah, these are the the points of unity that really brings together everyone in the Malaya movement, Um, you know, growing the the people power, especially among folks in the diaspora um, to amplify the call to oust Duterte, um, to defend human rights defenders, um, to stand with the Filipino people as his dictatorship um, really strengthens. Um, And Mm -hmm. the anti-terror law was really, game-changer in many ways um, in in the development now it's like four or five year, four years into his term already um, I don't know if you mm-hmm. wanted to add anything you guys. Uh
2: yeah yeah no I think you you pretty much summed up um, what is the Malaya movement the only thing I can add is um, you know so, some of the contextual stuff um, uh, you know folks might be wondering it's like oh it's been it took two years for the Malaya movement to come together um, you know, because like Duterte came to power in 2016, right? Um, <clears throat> it's not that uh, the Malaya movement was sort of two, two years late. Um, a bunch of us are part of various community organizations, institutions, you know, and various organizing spaces, right? Um, and we, we, many of us have been critical of what is going on uh, in the Philippines, right? Um, it was in. Uh, through those that we are condemning and criticizing what is going on in the Philippines, um, right after the, the killing of um, sometime in, uh, I believe, August of 2017, you know, um, and then following that, uh, around November of 2017, when Duterte started um, pushing for um, uh, that, that the revolutionary government. You know, he was threatening to declare a revolutionary government which many of us, many of uh, the community leaders, uh, on top of already being alarmed of the, you know, the, just like the uh, absurd number of, um, you know, uh, 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 killings under the war on drugs is this, um, you know, potential of a, a new dictatorship. So that also contributed to uh, the formation, um, you know, creating the sense of urgency to form the Malaya movement. Um, and yeah, so it, it's really has been, a, you know, a grassroots movement um, comprised of, um, you know, multi-sectoral, uh, intergenerational um, uh, movement. Yeah.
1: Oh, and to quickly add, Malaya means free in Tagalog. <laughs> we can't forget that part. Um, um, and yeah, I, I think also, um, I right, like now it's September, um, and on September 21, it's gonna be the 40th, 48th anniversary of um, Ferdinand Marcus's Declaration of Martial Law. So um, of course, like we use the, the um, we commemorate like the Declaration of Martial Law every year, I mean, as an opportunity to um, remind ourselves and remind, you know, like, um, Filipinos everywhere of like the like what people power was able to accomplish and like ousting Marcos um, and showing that you know we can do that again so um, I think it's also timely that we're getting to sit down here and talk together on um, the the cusp of the 48th anniversary of the declaration of martial law
0: yeah it's funny that like on the day of a the thing that gets uh said and shared a lot is never forget and yet it's uh a sl- not so slow creep forward towards like a full-blown uh dictatorship so uh it's the the necessity for action at this time is uh is critical it- and the more that we can get people mm-hmm. to be Uh, aware and integrated into the work and uh, involved and invested it's uh, so important so uh, yeah Um, so you you just recently got back to the east coast but before you were before you had left you were uh, one of the co-coordinators are
2: are you a co-coordinator again now or are you not just yet um, uh, right now, uh, I used to be the, the coordinator of the Malaya Movement in the Northeast when it was still forming, um, and then I believe sometime in 2018, I be- I joined the National Secretariat of the Malaya Movement and still um, serving as a um, part of the National Secretariat. Uh, and, then, and Bernadette, you're the regional
0: coordinator here, or you are the co-coordinator along with uh Julie
1: Uh yeah I'm the regional coordinator and like yeah here in the northeast um like we also have like a local secretariat um so it's myself Julie um, and then Nicole um, who's based in New Jersey um but yeah I became the Malaya Northeast Coordinator, I think last year. So it's been just a little over a year now that I've, I've been um, doing this work um, with Malaya as a co- coordinator.
0: And then, uh, why are you uh, so passionate for, for both of you? I mean, I know that I've seen, I've been in actions and in rallies with both of you and uh, it's it's inspiring. To see the conviction and the agitation and uh, the sharpness, especially the sharpness from both of you, uh, engaging with masa and then just trying to talk with them patiently about uh, about what's happening um, but what what has drawn you to this work and, and what is it that's keeping you a part of it
2: hmm.
1: Do I take that one first,
2: Divas? I think I need to. I think I need to, to reflect on mm. a little bit. Um, I think personally, um, you know, having seen or having been involved in progressive Pino organizing for, um, I would say, more than ten years now, uh, here in the U.S., have seen uh, various regimes or administrations come and go. Um, uh, I was politicized back in 2008 under uh, when the Philippines was under the Gloria Macapagal Arroyo uh, regime, you know. And back then, I remember uh, one of the issues that really politicized me was the massacre of um, uh, peasants in in Hacienda Luisita in Central Luzon, who were, um, you know, demanding uh, that they they um, that the land be be turned over. To the farmers who have been tilling the land, um, I've during the time there was also intense almost every week. Um, activists are being um, disappeared, uh, abducted by elements of the military, or assassinated. Um, <clears throat> and he, he she also tried to impose, uh, you know, some 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 maneuvers to extend her term right so when i um when um duterte came into power you know uh with his re- rhetoric and some of uh the things that he was pushing right uh, it's it sort of uh, reminded me of that time um uh right now, you know just like it's so hard to like follow or even like monitor the news just because of like you know almost every other day um an activist a human rights defender uh is being uh you know it's like getting killed in the philippines so i think um you know uh that's one part of uh why i feel um passionate and invested in what is um uh in the malaya movement you know um uh that there really needs to be a mass movement of um uh people um especially here from the filipino community here in the united states to not just take a stand but to um play an integral role um in uh um advocating and fighting for human rights democracy and sovereignty uh in the philippines uh not just you know to stop the Duterte regime but you, to really fight for um genuine social change yeah mm. yeah, yeah always uh
0: really appreciate the way that you frame things Yves the way that you you have so much more experience than I do within the space and within uh just having more um uh contact or contact awareness you've been politically aware and uh active much more than I have and so like you're able to see mm-hmm. the uh the continuum of uh of activity mm-hmm. on both sides uh of things that are oppressive towards people and towards democracy and things that are limiting of democracy and and genuine freedom and genuine liberation Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i think i'm still there's so much uh Mm -hmm. from from like the more that i look at uh the philippine society at at large and the history uh, it's it's easy to see the the mm-hmm. uh, mantle, right, or the responsibility uh, to continue with the
2: struggle—that's mm-hmm.
0: that's part of uh, my own understanding of it. Mm. own is, is growing as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's for me. It's manifesting in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, a year ago, what it was a year and a half, two years ago, I, I'm on my own uh
2: uh,
0: Mm -hmm. Um, how about you bernadette uh you and i were like politicized around the same time
1: yeah that's right um yeah i mean like right like we, we kind of both found malaya right like in july august in 2018 right um I don't know, for me, um, so like, I consider myself also a very new organizer. Um, I only started like formally, right? Like when I moved to New York City for graduate school in 2018. Um, And then before that, um, I was working and living in Manila. Um, I was working at the um, National Film Archive of the Philippines. Um, So there, um, one, it's like, it's a government agency. It's like formally under the executive branch. Um, so I remember um, in 2016, um, you know, during the presidential um, elections, you know, Duterte campaigning and like what the political climate was like um, back then, you know, at the, at the, um, this sense of like things are, you know, something's really happening. Um, and then I remember just the craziness of, um the the 2016 elections um and then i remember you know duterte winning in a landslide and then like at least right like for my work that had a lot of um implications so um the head of our agency would be um appointed by the president so when duterte came in um he had appointed you know like the folks that would run um yeah the government agency that i was working in and i Just, you know, being um, someone who just, oh, I'm an archivist, I'm interested in films, and I was, you know, working there in the film archive, Mm -hmm. um, sort of seeing the way that the culture of, like, the institution changed, like, after Duterte B um, became president and, like, you know, seeing, um, Mm -hmm. right, like, the nepotism, the corruption really up close. Um, And then for me, having grown up in the United States, you know, I would hear a lot of my my family, right? I talk about like, oh, like there's all of these like bad problems in the Philippines, it's so corrupt and all of this. And like that was very much the basis of like why my um, family had decided to leave and, you know, pursue the quote unquote American dream, if you want to call it that. Um, Mm -hmm. Right. Like that could be a whole other conversation. Um, But Um, Yeah, to sort of see that in person was like really jarring Um, just sort of seeing these government officials like literally steal like tens of thousands, hundreds of hundreds of thousands of pesos, even in a small cultural agency like I was in. Um, And then, yeah, like the whole political climate in the Philippines also changed and like myself not having been formally, um, you know, a political activist or anything, just like a regular person, like, you know, living their day to day life in Manila. Um, even, like, seeing this this intensity, like, I remember in 2016 when um, Duterte um, gave the go-ahead signal to bury Marcos uh. in the Hero Cemetery. that All of that was so wild, like, all these protests. Like, I would go to the University of the Philippines a lot for work-related things, and I had friends who lived in the area. Um, and I remember, like, taking the jeepney um, along Katapunan Avenue, and, like, there'd be, like, a protest every single yeah. night. Um, during that time in um, in like September, when those conversations started happening, when Duterte was um, like allowing this process to continue of burying Marcos. So that for me also being part of the diaspora, like, um, you know, like martial law um, in the 1970s and 80s under Mar- Marcos has like over really overshadows like so much of my own family's history. Um, so it was, Um, crazy for me to sort of be like kind of living in that time in the Philippines when all of this is sort of coming to surface like sort of slapping you in the face Mm -hmm. just like day to day um simply like commuting right um like to work or something um so then yeah it was like really it it was a time for me and I was like reflecting on a lot of different things so um yeah like long story short, I guess, um, sort of having those experiences in the Philippines, you know, I remember when Kian de La Santos was killed, um, you know, if folks aren't aware. Um, so he was a 17-year-old um, high school student, um, a, a victim of the extrajudicial killings under the um, so-called drug war in the Philippines. Um, and then his um, murder really spark like these national conversations about like, wow, it, it really just like mm-hmm. showed just like the moral depravity of the war on drugs, like if it wasn't clear to people, um, the killing of Candela Santos made it blatantly clear, because, and there was, it was only because mm-hmm. right, like there was um, CCTV footage of like officers in plain clothes, like dragging him off of a basketball mm-hmm. court. Um, in his own neighborhood, in his own, you know, in his own barangay, and then, um, and then, you know, like later, like autopsies and everything came out. Um, the way that he was shot, um, the the witnesses' statement saying that um, they saw um, policemen dragging him to like this dark alley, um, you know, like hear hearing the police tell him to like run while he's holding a gun, right? So. Um, the way he was um, shot was like, you know, he he was on his knees um, and like the angle, right, of like the bullet hitting his body. Um, So, yeah, I mean, like there was so much, um, like so much, yeah, all all these changes in the Philippines and that was happening. And it really like ignited this like national consciousness. If it wasn't there, like the death of Kian really made it there. So, yeah, having been um, in Manila during that time, um, you know, in the in the first half or the first part of Duterte's presidency, um, really made, I don't know, to like say it lightly, like made this crazy impression on me. Um, and then when I came to New York for grad school, um, like I felt like I needed to be politically involved in some kind of way. Um, So then I sort of found Malaya movement and like, oh, I just attended a meeting. And like, that's how Um, things kind of started sorry this was like so long-winded um um but um but yeah I, I mean I carry those experiences um but also being part of the Malaya movement in the last two years like I've learned like so much um of like one like how do you like grow like a grassroots movement like how do you um really engage people um who might not be really aware of issues in the philippines and that's fine you know but how do you engage people how do you um how do you also ignite this sense of like um injustice and having people understand that and especially folks in the diaspora of what role that they can play to contribute to um standing with the people of the philippines um um holding you know Holding um, actions to like show our own indignation of what's Mm -hmm. happening, showing that we still have a say of what happens in the Philippines, even though we might not have even grown up there, or some folks haven't even been back home or or ever been to the Philippines, but they can still play a role, um, that they can still, um, you know, seek justice, um, they can still like call to Mm oust Duterte. So, Um, Yeah, for me, um, I feel like there's always work to do. Like, there's never no, there's never an end, I think, to the political work, Um, you know, the political conditions in the Philippines continually change. Um, And then, yeah, with the Malaya movement, even, you know, like, tactics have changed, right? Like, I mean, later we'll be talking about, like, why? Um, folks in Malaya Movement and in the International Coalition on Human Rights in the Philippines and Kapatan Alliance wanted to really forward the Philippine Human Rights Act. So um, what I appreciate about Malaya is like, you know, it, the, the movement really, um, it, it's truly grassroots. It really um, wants to push forward tangible change um, for the Philippines, um, tangible change to um, Aus Duterte, intangible change to educate um, the community here in the U.S. Oh my God, that was like so long. I am so sorry.
0: <laughs> it's alright, um, no problem. So uh, we're coming up on about forty-three minutes for the first like uh, recording. So typically, what I've done is take a break now and then re-reset so that mm-hmm. if you need to do bio break or if you need a breather or um, whatever. Like then you have that opportunity to do it and then we can come back and then jump into the second half of the ATL and PHRA. How does that sound?
1: Yeah, yeah that's how,
0: good. How, like, long, so how long is the break? However, however long you need, do you need it? <laughs> I'm, I'm getting Maybe
2: like
0: or, no, maybe I go. five minutes. I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll let's hang up and then I'll send the link and I'll just be sitting here waiting and then whenever you guys, whenever you two are ready to come back, then just come back.
1: Okay, I'll be back at like six fifty. So I was just gonna like make tea really quick, but that's all okay. I was gonna do.
0: Sure. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna get something yeah. too. Okay. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So you're like three Bye. minutes. Mm-hmm. Bye. <laughs> Bye.
0: Cool. Uh, so, uh, the anti-terror law and the Philippine Human Rights Act. It's uh, interesting that there's two different pieces of legislation, one that's already passed into law, and one that's still just a, well, it's an act, right? It's not fully enacted yet, uh, or, like, it's just at the very beginning of, of the... Um, Legislative process for that and um, So Mm -hmm. anti-terror law it was passed a few weeks ago now, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, it was um, the anti-terror law was uh, signed into law on July 3rd by uh, Duterte and then uh, from there uh, 15 days, so July 18th uh, it took effect and um, right now i believe um the anti terrorism council is working on um the implementing rules and regulation but basically it's uh, it's in effect
0: yeah there's um there's been attempts to file uh like complaints with the supreme court right there's like 15 mm-hmm. and then uh it's uh,
2: a, i think it's like closer to 30 now actually um, with various sectors um, and, you know, groups filing uh, petitions to the Supreme Court uh, challenging its uh, constitutionality, um, you know, uh, asking the the Supreme Court to strike it down. Uh,
0: and there's been some challenges to that, right? hmm
2: hmm Yeah. Yeah. One One of, um, I believe, uh, it's the Solicitor General uh Kalida is uh recommending that uh oral arguments in the supreme court be uh um taken out to not have any oral arguments citing the the pandemic as a you know as a sort of um the reason why they should not have oral arguments um so you know trying to uh eliminate this uh i think platform to question and challenge the the anti-terror law yeah
1: yeah i mean it's also that's even like extremely ironic because um, i mean back in june um duterte Mm -hmm. had fast-tracked um and prioritized and marked as urgent the Mm anti-terrorism bill um so then that was given priority you know over any type of like COVID response or um trying to better you know the, the healthcare response in the philippines to the pandemic um and they're like no instead we want to push forward this fascist law um that's what our priorities are um so then now right for them to say in the supreme court that um or for kalita to claim that like oh because of the pandemic we shouldn't hear any like oral arguments mm-hmm. it's just infuriating and very ridiculous so, uh
0: like a Foundational uh, Philippine civics lesson, the Supreme Court, like the government in the Philippines is almost like one-to-one with the United States, right? The law is, it went through Congress, and then it passed Mm -hmm. Congress. And then uh, the president Mm -hmm. signed it after the bill was passed. And then uh, the Supreme Court is like, their role is to say whether or not it's constitutional.
2: Mm-hmm. But then,
0: what is the solicitor general? I don't know if there is a parallel role, or is that like uh, what William Barr? Is that kind of a similar guy who's like? I don't know if you're either of you are at all familiar with like American civics as well. I'm only like partially aware. <laughs> There's a a lot of parallel uh, mm-hmm. things I think happening in the United States. Yeah, with, yeah. You know, with laws that are happening in the United States and with like what's happening in the Philippines. Uh,
1: uh, yeah, I mean the Solicitor General in the Philippines has yeah, also with the Department of Justice. So I think, um, yeah, the the analogy that you're drawing, KP, is is definitely accurate.
0: And then, and so the Solicitor General is like the the defense attorney for
2: for the law or the prosecutor? Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure, but I, I think my understanding is that it is the representative of the the executive branch into the the um judicial branch, which is, you know, where the Supreme Court is.
0: hmm And then um there's when I was looking into uh like the no well, when knowing that the bill was going to the Supreme Court for uh, constitutionality, I was under the impression that a lot of the um a lot of the Supreme Court justices are actually like homies with uh, Duterte anyway so then it's like if if Duterte wants to push this law forward it's going to be like thumbs up all the way
2: mm-hmm. yeah i mean um you know uh we 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 are trying to exhaust you know um every means to challenge um you know the anti-terror law um you know and with the supreme court as the um quote unquote like final arbiter of uh, what is constitu- constitutional or not um but yeah um 13 out of the 15 uh supreme court justices are uh appointed by uh duterte um so you know i mean we we can draw some conclusions from that but uh we we do want to exhaust that avenue mm. mm-hmm.
1: yeah and also i mean early on in duterte's presidency um very controversially he ousted one of the supreme court justices maria lord de sereno um and yeah i, I think it's rather like really common knowledge now of the ways in which duterte already has like control of all branches of government um even if you look at his supermajority, like in the congress like after the may 2019 elections so many of his like, yes, men and women got elected into the Senate, you know, including like the Marcoses, including um, um, Bato, who is the, the um, architect of the drug war. Um, so yeah, I mean, of, of course there's like legal avenues that they're taking in the Philippines to challenge the anti-terror law with, you know, these plethora of petitions um, going into the Supreme Court um, but uh, a few weeks ago, um, Attorney Neri Menares was on a webinar, um, and then um, even he emphasized that it, it's really like the, the mass movement and the people that will be the ones to like you know hold the government accountable and to um, challenge the anti-terror law. And like the, the people's movement will be stronger and in a more in um, a, a more reliable way to challenge the anti-terror law. Um, versus you know waiting for all of these petitions to go through the supreme court and i mean like yeah as the has mentioned like almost all of the supreme court justices were appointed by duterte and they have ruled in favor um in a lot of different cases already that um are you know like that lean towards duterte or support whatever his political needs have been so they have also haven't really exhibited um like impartiality in these matters um so, yeah, I think it's it's really, especially for us here in the U.S., you know, we in the Malaya movement, guys ask, like, you know, like, what can we bring um, as a movement to really counter these types of, like, fascist moves of the including the anti-terror law?
0: For sure. Um, when I think of uh, that, uh, the one Supreme Court justice that uh, was removed, it's, to me, it's like, if uh Mm -hmm. ruth bader ginsburg was dismissed because of like uh being against um Mm -hmm. something that trump said or believed and he was just like you know what i'm just gonna let you go you're uh, excused from your position like he's done with a lot of his uh a lot of Mm -hmm. his appointees in in his cabinet um so uh Mm -hmm. what is uh, the impact of the anti-terror law? I you know it. it there's a, a lot of ramifications. Uh, mm-hmm. There was like one really good Instagram post, but that I remember seeing that was put out by one of the orgs. Uh, it like it, did, ugh, it describes all of the um, all the sectors, but like um, I think it's kind of interesting to like discuss it. Like, what? Mm-hmm. How do we understand? Uh, we're not experts in the law itself or lawyers but you know our understanding Mm of uh, what is the impact of the anti-terror law
2: well I guess like um, something that I wanted uh, um, you know even before the anti-terror law right uh, we've seen with the with the the warrants we have seen with um, you know, the various um count, the the counterinsurgency program of Duterte and how he has weaponized or I mean, you know, uh used the law to uh file trumped up charges against uh activists, um and how he have used uh his uh military to 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 bomb uh indigenous communities and uh, uh commit atrocities against their, there there was already um you know like um in the philippines even before the passing of the anti-terror law uh the anti-terror law only adds uh to the i guess like uh tools that duterte already have uh and have been using um to curtail freedoms and uh attack um you know uh dissent Uh, and destroy democracy or whatever is left of democracy in in the Philippines. And the anti-terror law just, um, you know, uh, in a way like um, creates a legal sort of um, uh, justification, you know, to to the atrocities that he has already been doing. Um, uh, I mean, the anti-terror law will further send... um, you know, uh, a message to the uh uh civil society, the people's movement, the grassroots organizations, um, various institutions that uh, if you are against the terte then you know, you're you're probably a terrorist, right? I mean that's already the, the rhetoric that they've been using even during the war on drugs, that like if you are critical of the war on drugs, then you're probably a drug lord supporter or a drug user. Right. And now they're using um you know this this uh rhetoric of uh if you're critical of the anti terror law then you're probably a terrorist. That's why you're so afraid of it. The other um implication that the anti terror law um creates is that you know it's uh extraterritorial provisions, right? Um uh putting it into law that uh they can pursue um and, and classify uh um even Filipinos outside of the Philippines. You know, everyone who has a uh, Philippine passport and even non-Filipinos who are critical of uh the Philippine government um can be designated as a as a terrorist, you know, and um uh with the way uh that the Duterte government and his um armed goons in the armed force of the Philippines have been um you know uh, treating civil society right um they they pretty much um uh label uh activists as um you know quote-unquote communist terrorists right everyone that is critical of the philippine government so we can just we we can connect the dots that um once they're done with implementing rules and regulations and once they have they're done listing um, and designating uh individuals and organizations as terrorists, that you know um you know it, it's it's we feel like uh the worst is yet to come you know under now with this anti-terror law
1: yeah i mean the the anti-terror law replaces like, the human security act of 2007 so um the hsa was made right it was under a gloria Map- mm-hmm. arroyo and even she received like widespread criticism um, when the HSA was passed and signed into law um, and then like the anti terror law is even like worse than the HSA so there's like a lot right of questionable provisions within the anti terror law of course like all the petitions and the supreme court are addressing all of these but i think in essence um like the anti terror law what what's really like in the in the legal ease of it what's really shifted is that it it not only is designed to like punish quote unquote, like terrorist criminal acts, but it's meant to and is designed to punish like intent. So then it becomes kind of like nebulous and um, it it becomes nebulous and it becomes sort of like theoretical and, and, and like dangerous grounds for like, you know, preemptive accusations as well. And of course, like, you know, Duterte is not shy to take advantage of those um, also, the anti-terror law creates the anti-terror council, um, which is made entirely of Duterte's appointees. Um, so then, it's like a group of people. Like this council can essentially decide, like who is and who is not a terrorist. So um, before, um, you would have to go through the courts for these particular designations, like of the government saying, like, oh, X and Y Z groups are like formally like now designated as terrorists. So Duterte has attempted to do that um, in the early part of his presidency. I mean, like infamously, right, like he had put out this list of 600 individuals, um, calling them, quote unquote, like, oh, these are communist rebels and subversives and they are terrorists. And like people on this list, like even included like a U.N. High Commissioner, um, uh, people who are members of progressive organizations in the Philippines, So um, the folks that actually have been killed in the last, you know, like four to six weeks, for example, like Randy Achanis was on that quote, quote unquote terrorist list. Mm -hmm. I believe Zara Alvarez was also on there, um, Mm -hmm. both of them human rights defenders. So right, like Duterte had put out this list back in 2018, I believe, um, and was kind of like waving it out in like the public, you know, information sphere. Um, and then now that we have the anti-terror law, you have the anti-terror council made up made up of his appointees, he no longer he no longer has to go to the courts. So mm-hmm. He can just go to his like specially made council that is now mm-hmm. solidified into law, and they can make these terrorist designations. So for any critic of the government, anyone that has been you know fighting for genuine change in the Philippines, um anyone that they even deem to be like a political threat to them, um they will not be shy to designate them as terrorists and like um we could it's it's so clear in Duterte's own track record you know like even putting in jail like senator Laila de Lima early in his career like you know ousting um out of the supreme court um uh Maria Sereno right like they're not shy to even attack their political opponents Mm -hmm. let alone you know human rights defenders let alone you know everyday Filipinos Um, the tens of thousands that have been killed in the war on drugs, you know, so many indigenous people, um, so many, um, you know, farmers and peasants. So this, like, you know, affects all sectors of society. And yeah, the anti-terror law, while these human rights violations have been um, already escalating and rampant um, during Duterte's time, and even before that, you know, um, the anti-terror law creates, like, legal justifications in the Philippines to allow this um, that has not really been seen before um, and even um, former Supreme Court Justice like Carpio has said like this actually places the Philippines in conditions worse mm-hmm. than Marcos's martial law um, just because of the sheer power that the government has um, to declare who they want as terrorists and do what they want you know detain people like give them life imprisonment for like mm-hmm. say suspected um acts of terrorism or sus- or suspected intention of acts of terrorism, um so yeah, there's huge implications there um, uh, yeah, just
0: by talking about it in this conversation uh, and and putting out this podcast episode, we are potentially in violation of this law, right like just by uh, voicing our uh, dissent mm-hmm. and displeasure of like <clears throat> uh the actions of the government mm-hmm. and uh and the actions of duterte uh we are not even safe apparently from mm-hmm. uh, from him uh from the government uh uh prosecuting us right just for just mm-hmm. opinions outside of the country so uh, yeah
2: yeah <clears throat> i mean just to add right uh we, you know it's like a recent development um, um what do you call this i mean part of the anti terror law is not just like the act of committing it but if you facilitated or if, if you've uh provided some some sort of uh support uh in the act to to a um you know an individual or, or an organization that has been designated. As a terrorist organization, right? Um, then that can also, you know, that can uh, qualify, um, you know, and make make you punishable under the anti-terror law. And you know, just this past July, the Malaya Movement has been tagged um, as allegedly a brainchild of the Communist uh, Party of the Philippines. You know, um, <clears throat> uh, it's posted on a bunch of this um, uh, Facebook pages that you know, in one. One uh, freedom of information app filed by I, I think by um by Rappler has revealed that most of these Facebook pages are are connected and are operated by by um government agencies, including the Philippine military and the Philippine National Police. So the Malaya Movement was recently um you know uh tagged as a you know um, front of the Communist Party of the Philippines. So yes, you know you you um you're correct that you know. Uh, publishing this, uh, this uh, podcast may, may be in bi- violation of the anti-terror law, which is
1: yeah. Like, also, think of like further context too, really quick. Um, I mean, even the um, secretary of like the Department of Interior and Local Government in the Philippines, um, they've been like really blatant, and they're saying like, okay, this anti-terrorism law is meant to target two specific groups. One, like, oh, quote unquote, like, extremists in Mindanao, um, this is, you know, they're, they're claiming like, okay, they're, they're, there's this ter- global terrorist activity happening in Mindanao, and we have to like squash these extremists, you know, following in step, like right after 9-11, um, like George W. Bush's like global war on terror. Um, and then this like just transformed so much all over the world, and the Philippines followed in lockstep, um, saying like, okay, we've got like track down the terrorists, right, quote unquote terrorists. Um, And then, two, they're saying, like, we're also targeting, um, like, the communists um, here in the Philippines. So in the minds of the government officials, like, these are the the two groups that they're trying to particularly target with the anti-terror law. So then when we talk about this idea of, like, red tagging, um, this is, right, like, the propaganda of the government, like, saying, like, oh, like, this particular critic or this particular, like, you know, people's organization or... um, progressive organization like if we um can like red tag them or say like oh they're part of like the subversive rebellious left or they're part of the communist party then we can like legally attack them we can legally um you know um you know call them terrorists and it's really crazy to also see in the philippines you know they'll you'll see like they'll, they'll start like the, the military and the police right they'll make posters of like people's faces i don't know they'll like search them on facebook and they'll be like okay this person is like part of like carapata negros we're gonna put their face on a poster say they're part of the communist party and then um you know kind of scare people when like they see their own images like posted on like a telephone pole in your neighborhood right um so this is what happened to zara alvarez like she was red tagged um like the Philippine national police and like the military were saying like oh like we see her as like a communist terrorist um so then you know with her brutal murder in Bicol um a few weeks ago in the eyes of the government they see this as justified I think they said some pretty words saying like oh we also want to investigate this death but it's like your own soldiers and your own police have mm-hmm. put up photos of her you know um, trying to red tag her and trying to mm-hmm. call her a criminal Um, and then now you're saying you want this like this investigation into her death so yeah there's all of these contradictions Um, but yeah I mean in in the own you Mm -hmm. know in the own words of Duterte and government officials are saying like oh we need to squash those like um, like ISIS extremists in Mindanao and we need to like squash like the like communist Mm -hmm. terrorists too Um, and then like you write like in this process of them trying to like target these groups They're like okay we're going they, they then attack like human rights defenders they attack their own they attack the critics of the dvd regime um so yeah it's so um it's a bit lightly <laughs> that's why I, I have to say um, yeah um and, and another i think important part to mention about the anti-terror law as well is that um, one of the talking points that um, these officials love to say, they're like, okay, look at section four. The, in section four, it says that, um, the, that terrorism um, shall not include advocacy, protest, dissent, um, mass action, or similar exercises of civil and political rights. So they're saying like, oh, all of you, like people out there saying that, like, you know, complaining that, like, we're trying to squash your protests, that we're trying to attack, you know, people just simply voicing their opinion. They're like, look at Section 4, there's a protection there. Um, but there's actually a catch, because in this, in like the next sentence, there's like a conditionality to that. And many human rights groups, like even on like Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International has pointed out that um, this conditionality like is extremely dangerous. So they're saying like, oh yeah, you have this protection as long as Um, your protest or your um, voice of dissent is not intended to cause death or serious physical harm to a person or endanger someone's life or create serious risk to public safety. Um, And then the people that get to interpret that is the anti-terror council. So, right, like you can sort of see it's like (laughs) this sort of snake devouring itself where um, it's at the end of the day, the anti-terror council gets to like really make the final say. And if this group of individuals are all like Duterte appointees and supporters, it's like, you know, if you do the math, like what are you going to end up with? You know, it's going to be like more human rights violations. Um, it's going to be all in the direction of, of you know, Duterte. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think um, with, um, you know, saying that like, you know, activism is not terrorism, um, uh, just to sort of, I think, give more context, right, to that sort of call that like folks have been sharing a lot and, um, you know, that we have at our own rallies. Um, it's saying that, you know, um, we understand that, like, people can truly be targeted for their activism, um, even those here abroad, but not to, like, fear monger. It's, like, you know, it's only the strength of, like, our mass movement um, that can really push back against these, like, draconian laws. Um, And, you know, as as human rights defenders in the Philippines are, like, gunned down in the street, you know, gunned down in their own homes, um, you know, the most that, like, we can do, especially here abroad, is to, you know, shed light on all of this, you know. Um, And I don't know if this is, like, segue (laughs) to the Philippine Human Rights Act. Yeah. Yeah, um, But, yeah.
2: Just wanted to add something. Um, I think part of this is also, like, to, um, you know, sort of, like... um, take control of the conversation and the narrative about like what is considered terrorism right uh, i mean even if we use um you know some generally accepted uh, definition of what is terrorism right the use of terror um intimidation um to to achieve political goals right um i mean just by this definition you know um it is it points uh you know to the Duterte regime, and you know the anti-terror law as a coercive tool of the Philippine government that is, uh, um, you know, causing terror and intimidating uh, civil society, um, you know, so that they will um, simply uh, uh, be quiet and stop criticizing the Duterte regime. I I think that is what is the real terrorism in the Philippines and um it is actually i i think it's duterte who must be charged you know as uh, committing acts of terrorism together you know with his anti-terror council with his philippine national police and the armed force of the philippines and i think it's important for us you know to 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 um you know in a way like take control of this con- um uh this discussion of like what what is considered terrorism right um i mean mind you like being a communist in the philippines is not even uh illegal you know but um the philippine government's rhetoric is that um being called a communist uh is as if um you know it's, it's a a justification uh for for um you know uh getting killed right when when in fact it's, it's it shouldn't be right people should be able to uh um you know practice their political beliefs or you know uphold their political beliefs uh uh, in, in if they uh, really claim that the Philippines is truly uh, democratic, yeah.
0: The irony, the irony of this entire thing, yeah. to me, is that the precursor to this, uh, the, we we mentioned very briefly, uh, the uh, hu- the United Nations um, uh, representative, uh, the the rapporteur. Who was like added to the uh added to the list was mm-hmm. in the Philippines investigating human rights violations to begin with, which is like in its own way uh, uh the the human rights violations are part of terror that's already being implemented or already being utilized against the people, so it's like hey we see this thing happening. And then you're like, no, it's not, but also it is because we're the ones who are doing it. So, uh, but Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it all sounds very hopeless if we don't do anything about it, but uh, Mm -hmm. like uh, Bernadette was trying to say earlier, (laughs) is that like this, there is something that we can do about it that Like the human, the Philippine Human Rights Act is one way that we can do something about the anti-terror law.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so um, to sort of just describe the Philippine Human Rights Act, so um, one, it's an act that um, folks here in the U.S. are like trying to get past here in the U.S., just to make that clear, because I think sometimes when we talk to people, they think it's like some kind of legislation that we're like supporting in the Philippines, but it's actually um, for our representatives here and our, you know, elected officials here um, too, that, that we're pushing to enact. Um, so the Philippine Human Rights Act, or PHRA for short, Um, The the main purpose of it, and then I'm just, you know, reading this off the the website to make it really clear, um, to suspend United States security assistance to the Philippines until such a time that human rights violations by Philippine security forces cease and the responsible state forces are held accountable. Um, So that's the primary objective of the PHRA. Um, It's uh, legislation um, that Um, And it's something that's being supported through a campaign by the Malaya Movement, um, by the International Coalition for Human Rights in the Philippines, or ICHIRP, um, and then Kapata'an Alliance, or KA, um, which is an alliance of various um, Filipino youth organizations across the U.S. Um, And then, yeah, if you want to learn more about the PHRA, just to plug their website really quick, um, humanrightsph.org. Um, but yeah maybe events if you want to talk mm-hmm. about sort of the history yeah so i
2: mean today? um you know part of the conversation the malaya movement and other organizations that are um uh, concerned about what's going on in the philippines is uh what what can we concretely do right here uh in the united states um and the precedent to this goes way back uh during the anti-dictatorship struggle in the 70s wherein, um, Anti-Marcos, uh, anti-dictatorship activists, you know, both Filipinos and non- non-Filipinos have, uh, um, you know, uh, targeted the, um, in, in a way like the the con- material connections of the U.S. government and the Philippine government. How does the um, political and material support of the U.S. government uh, to the Marcos dictatorship back then uh, manifest, right, and it points to the uh, security assistance. Um, And then in 2007, similarly, under the Gloria Macapagal-Arroyo regime, where there was also an intense uh, political repression, right, activists here in the United States, uh, in in collaboration with with, uh, various groups in the Philippines, um, also campaigned to to, um, cut U.S. aid uh, for the Philippines. Um, I believe back then, they used, um, they went through appropriations um, and there, there was a uh, he, uh, Senate hearing um, conducted uh, to hear the human rights uh, situation in the Philippines and uh, uh, held by uh, Senator Barbara Boxer. And that resulted in um, a slight decrease or um, uh, the, the um, imposition of uh, human rights conditions on the release of um, uh, security assistance to the Philippines. So it cut... At least five million dollars to the um, 75 million dollars that was being sent to the Philippines back in 2007 annually. Um, and th- that resulted in a um, you know some decrease in, in the uh, human rights violations um, you know because the, the US, US security assistance is not just material support but political um, sort of like uh, political support right um it, sh- it shows that the u s government is backing you um, in a way condoning what is going on in the Philippines, so with that said, uh, we were also inspired by uh, the Berta Caceres Act, you know um, a people led uh, legislation that gained widespread support in the u s Congress uh, that was supposed to um, you know also cut aid um, uh, in in Honduras you know after the killing of um, Berta Casares. who is an uh, environmental uh, uh, justice activist right there um, we put together this uh, campaign called you know the the campaign to end US support for the Philippines and one of the most tangible ways is uh, through the um, Philippine Human Rights Act like what Bernadette have mentioned uh, we aim to uh, end US support and uh, immediately right um, the Philippine Human Rights Act aims to suspend uh, aid uh, and uh, law enforce uh, security assistance to the Philippines immediately, uh, and uh, it will also um, mandate uh, the the auditing of all um, security assistance to the, uh, that was sent to the Philippines and uh, to be investigated um, and to be uh, ensured that none of them went uh, to the committing of uh, human rights violations. Um, Right now, there's uh, we we have more than a hundred organizations, institutions um, across the United States who have endorsed uh, the Philippine Human Rights app, as well as major organizations such as the um, American Federation of Labor, um, and various labor unions, uh, the United Methodist Church, you know, um, various student organizations as well. Um, so we're. This is really a a grassroots movement um where we can make a dent no um uh yeah
1: yeah and um even in throughout 2019 um before you know the phra came to light i think this was also part of the formation of like how the phra kind of got rolled out there was actually a lot of like lobbying efforts and a lot of successes throughout um last year um So um, spring of last year, um, Malaya movement with a lot of other organizations um, uh, was lobbying like the U.S. Congress um, to have a hearing on the human rights situation in the Philippines. Um, And uh, we were actually with ICHIRP and KA, we were also actually able to secure like a hearing in the House Foreign Affairs Committee um, on human rights issues in Southeast Asia. and, um a lot of the attendees like ended up questioning you know the role of u s taxpayer money um that's like you know contributing to the human rights violations um in the Philippines. I think the number now, like since two thousand and sixteen, there have been like over half a billion dollars like sent in aid um in, to the Philippine military and police, and this doesn't even include arms sales, right. Um, and then even during the pandemic, there was like a $2 billion arm sales, like from Trump to Duterte. Um, the Philippines was included in um, a few other countries that the U.S. is engaging arms sales with, um, you know, in the midst of the pandemic, right? Um, so yeah, th- these are all things that we want to um, shed light on and like, you know, make folks here in the U.S. aware, you know, of how our own um, taxpayer money is contributing to these violations um, in the Philippines. Um, and even recently, um, so Representative Jan Schakowsky um, had written a letter condemning the anti-terror law in the Philippines, um, and it was signed by over 50 U.S. representatives as well. So there's been um, also strong support from various representatives across the U.S. and condemning the anti-terror law. Um, so with all of this like momentum, um, and the, you know the the um, human rights crisis under Duterte in the Philippines um, really being um, already in um, the—there's already a lot of attention on it here in the U.S. I think with the Philippine Human Rights Act, you know, we can, you know, take this momentum and really push forward, like, okay, we don't just want, you know, only a letter of condemnation, but, you know, the introduction of this act that can have like real material um, changes Um, So that these, you know, our own taxpayer money doesn't go towards funding um, Duterte's um, human rights violations and, you know, atrocities that are ongoing and it's been so well documented already. Um, So, yeah, I think that's something for us here in the U.S. being part of the diaspora, um, all of our solidarity allies here of what we can, like, you know, tangibly contribute.
0: Is basically the support of the PHRA, right? Like, I, th- I think one of the challenges that uh, we're facing, at least for me, uh, right now, in terms of, like, understanding what it is that I can do is, uh, like, be actually taking that first step of, like, either calling my representative and being like, hey, here's something that I believe in, please do X, Y, and Z. Uh, and it can, it can be pretty uh, intimidating to, um, to like call up an office that you've never, to like call up people that you've never spoken to before who kind of seem like they're in this position. Well, they are in a position of power as people who hold office, uh, like our uh, representatives and our um, Congress people. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I think someone was breathing uh, on the mic for a second. That's alright. But yeah, I think like getting beyond that first step of like actually doing something rather than listening and like posting on social media or like just talking to. Uh, I mean, they it's move. It's like that slacktivism, slack slacktivism mm-hmm. versus like going beyond that into, uh, like, okay, I'm going to do this very small thing, but it's also a very big thing at the same time. It's like mm-hmm. the being making myself vulnerable to someone whose job it is, is to listen to what it is that I have to say. I think um, one of the, like, encouraging, uh, one of the encouraging things that I've heard when uh, when I was... Uh, like first talked someone first told me about lobbying is that they can't hang up on you like they have to li- like if as long as you are a, a constituent of that representative or the of that office like they have to listen to whatever it is you're talking about um and and your your concerns and uh and so that was reassuring because even though i might have fumbled and like tripped over my words in terms of what it was that I was saying I knew that at least like okay I can still call them again the following week or call them again at some point and just say hi this is what I think should happen I think that the uh PHRA should pass or that uh I think that there should be a a, a sign of support for um for uh human rights in the Philippines and this is the way that my representative can do can do exactly that um but i think uh like we're we're coming up on uh the anniversary of the um uh, of the declaration of martial law in the Philippines i can't help but think that there's like uh, uh a real connection i think there's like those of us who are uh, somewhat more politically aware, we can see the connection, but I think uh, it's kind of hard for people in the diaspora to be like, to connect the dots. So, mm. I mean, is there something that uh, either of you kind of, uh, any thoughts mm-hmm. about, about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, if we, when I you know, go, go from a historical perspective, Right. Um the our, our connection to the United States and the, the ongoing uh, fundamental problems of Philippine society goes way back, you know, uh, since the beginning of <laughs> US and Philippine interaction, right, with the um the, the Philippine bureaucracy, uh, its government was modeled after the United States. Um the ongoing uh, economic problems of the Philippines was influenced and if if you know, if not dictated, you know. And and uh, directed by uh, uh, U.S. policies, right? Um, the dictatorship uh, in the Philippines in the current regime uh, is materially and politically supported uh, by the U.S. government. Um, and and um, you know even right now, right? For every uh, dollar that is sent uh, to fund uh, the the atrocities of um, the Duterte regime, is taken away know from social services uh here in our communities, you know as uh, Martin Luther King said, uh, I mean in reference to the Vietnam War, right uh bombs dropped in Vietnam explode uh here in our communities, so you know the taxes that are sent uh, in the in the Philippines and uh, the military assistance in in the form of bombs and bullets and guns you know uh, eventually find their way back you know here in our communities in the form of uh you know lack of funding for social Mm -hmm. services, such as education, housing, uh, here, you know? Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think too, I mean, with the, especially with the right, like the Malaya movement, um, I mean, so much of it too was like inspired by um, the, strength of the anti-dictatorship movement against marcos like here in the u.s because there's there's so many um you know filipino-american activists um that dedicated so much of you know their their lives to fighting the dictatorship in the philippines um and i think um now you know it's september um you know, for us, we're always thinking about, like, the impact of martial law and, you know, how that also paved the road for, you know, what Duterte is today and what, you know, the, the how the Marcuses shaped the political climate, institutions, government in the Philippines, you know, um, entangling um, the Philippines in, like, you know, further, um, you know, like, foreign policies that, don't support the Filipino people. Economic policies that don't support the Filipino people. Social policies that don't support the Filipino people. And how all of that has just, you know, snowballed into like the the further entrenched problems now, and really paved the way for Duterte to, um, you know, establish his own dictatorship now. Right. That it's all connected. Um. So you know, every September, like we always think about this. Um, and, you know, even for me and my family, like even our immigration to the US, um, my, my parents' immigration to the US is like deeply tied with what happened under martial law. Um, so yeah, like for us to understand that um, as we're on the cusp of the anniversary, that there's there was such like amazing work by activists like here in the US and in the Philippines, like fighting the dictatorship. And I think we can take inspiration from that history, from that legacy, um, you know of the of the Filipino people everywhere. Um, not just only in the Philippines, but even here in the U.S. and so many parts of the world. Um, that that there is strength in numbers. There's like strength in people. Um, standing up for um what they what they believe to be right, standing up against like sheer injustices. Um, so I think you know we can find a lot of like strength and resolve in knowing that you know like you know we can topple dictators again um that Duterte is as 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 hopeless sometimes as the situation can feel in the Philippines um you know we we shouldn't give in I think to that sense of like that, that that sense of hopelessness or that things will never change um you know that's that's like our job to ensure and, and continue, like, you know, our own political work, um, you know, reflecting that, like, you know, if, if now is not the time to act, um, then when will the time be? And, you know, also reflecting too on, um, you know, the, like, Black Lives Matter movement here, you know, like the, the resurgence, right, of in the, just in the last few months, like the, the mass demonstrations, um, it's a time um, to not be apathetic, even to be like politically apathetic now, um, I don't know, it feels immoral even to, to be apathetic in the face of everything happening um, here in the US with like the continued um, killings of Black folks here. Mm-hmm. And um, I think with all of that happening here, to one just has to sort of frame of like, why is all this happening? um and uh all the interconnections are there you know like what is like state terror why why is this like rampant around the globe um you know like us as you know um folks in the u.s like how come like you know our taxpayer money like goes to these like you know the corrupt police here in the u.s and the corrupt police you know in the philippines and like the corrupt, right, like police, like in 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 Palestine, right? There's there's these like global implications, and I think you know we can find resolve in like educating ourselves and um understanding these issues and finding ways to take action.
0: That's it. So uh, That's a, so, oh, uh, well, I, well, I think there's another. Okay, I think it's gone now. Uh, <laughs> the last thing you said: ways to take action. Is very mm-hmm. appropriate. Uh, it's such a uh, uh, very uh, nice way to get into the la- very last part. What are the ways to take action? We've kind of um, we've referred to them in in some ways, calling your uh, senator or your uh, your representatives. Uh, but I think like there's that's one piece of it, right? You, you can't just call them up. I mean, you could just call them up naive and just tell them, hey, I'm angry about this thing. But, like, um, there's a, a sharper way to go about doing it. There's a, a more sustainable way to go about doing it and uh, more impactful as well. Um, so I think uh, maybe what are three things that people can do uh, to to help uh, mm-hmm. with this uh, activity and making sure that um, democracy and anti-dictatorship and uh, the things that are uh, mm-hmm. what what are what are things that people can
2: do now yeah so i think um you know what, one thing is uh, to support the philippine human rights act um and you know to support the philippine human rights act uh you can sign the petition Uh, on the the website uh, or tinyurl phra petition right Uh, if you are part of uh, an organization or an institution um, or you know of organizations you can talk to them about the philippine human rights act and ask them to publicly endorse um uh, the philippine human rights act you can go tinyurl phra uh endorse um and then um you can uh, lobby, you should lobby um, or talk to your legislator um, to to co-sponsor the Philippine Human Rights Act. Um, so those are all under supporting the Philippine Human Rights Act. We also encourage you all to join the, the Malaya Movement. Um, if you are in an area where there are no chapters of the Malaya Movement, feel free to reach out to us. Um, and, uh, you know, um, we can help build chapters we need um you know people everywhere the only way we can stop uh a dictator and a dictatorship is through an organized resistance we need to get organized um uh and you know be, be uh we cannot fight uh uh alone no um we uh need to build the movement um and you know lastly um we need to con- continuously um educate ourselves deepen our understanding of the current situation and the roots of uh you know um uh the rise of uh fascism and dictatorship not just in the philippines but in uh but around the the world no um yeah so um so support the philippine uh get involved and join the malaya movement and continue uh, of our current situation
0: I, I couldn't have said it better myself. That's, there's a reason why I wanted the two of you uh, in particular. Uh, when when uh, Bernadette said, oh, Yves might be available, I was like, yes, please, bring Yves on. Uh, yeah. And uh, welcome back again. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> to the East Coast. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm so uh, grateful to be in the t- same time zone. <laughs> for, for whatever, yeah. <laughs> uh small added uh uh value that may be uh, but yes i'm I'm just uh very grateful to uh spend this time with the both of you talk about uh these political conditions in the Philippines and uh doing something about uh about those conditions uh and uh being transformative about. Uh, about these things. Um, Bernadette, is there anything else that you wanted to add? I don't mean to uh, leave you out if there's something else that you wanted to say.
1: Um, yeah, I, I think in terms of the calls to action, yeah, like Ives covered all of them. Um, yeah, I understand, like, you know, there might be some folks that might, like, not have time or not, might not have capacity, say, to, like, join a chapter or something. Like, I would say still get in contact if you're interested in, like, lobbying work. Um, you know, you can always join groups to do this lobbying work. Um, there are different ways to get involved. Um, so um, don't be shy. You know, reach out to folks out in the Malaya movement. Um and yeah, we're always open to like also hearing like ideas and strategies too, if folks want to partner up in that way and collaborate, um, we're definitely open to that. Um, and also Yves mentioned, right, like, oh, like ensuring that we're on um, keeping ourselves educated. Um, I think with every lobbying visit, like every person, one that's like present at the table, um, you know, like whether you're just like other community organizations or what, you know, people who are endorsing the PHRA, it always starts with a conversation, you know, it always starts with just, like, um, reaching out to someone and being like, hey, like, let's sit down and talk about this issue together, let's talk about what's happening in the Philippines. Um, So I think I would encourage folks to, like, continue to have those conversations, um, you know, without that community education and even educating ourselves, Um, you know, none of the political work can happen. Um, So that's always, I think, the first, um, starting point, because, um, yeah, in my time, I've met some folks who, like, were, like you know, they might feel intimidated by, like, oh, how do you do lobbying? Like, how, how do you um, wrap your head around what's happening in the Philippines? Like, um, some folks, you know, are new to um, even, say, learning about the history of martial law in the Philippines. Um, I would just, you know, tell them to, you know, like, it's, um, you know, it happens in steps, and, you know, take what you can and where you're at um, and there's always a place where everyone in the movement, you know, as we even forward this legislation, um, of course, we want the support of like are the legislators and representatives that will like be um championing champion championing this and um, pushing it forward, you know, in in government. but um there's a strength in the mass movement. Um, there's strength in um having, uh, as many people as we can to like understand these issues, um to you know stand up against duterte to be educated about what's going on um and to be in the know about all of this. Um so I would say like even as we continue to push for the PHRA um you know connecting with the community, connecting with your family about these issues um is equally important.
0: You had-
1: yeah that's all I got. Oh. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think I think we've covered just about everything that we can say. At least right, at least for now, you know, okay. things have happened just this week in the news that I think practically uh, every day we can uh, look at what's happening in the news and, and like just say here's another thing that happened that um, that just gives us more reason to um, to take action. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you want to bug suck this call?
1: How about Yves since you just got back to the, you, yeah. you can give the honoring <laughs> bug suck to this podcast?
2: All right. Um <laughs> Okay, to further uh implicate this uh podcast um under the anti-terror law and uh <laughs> <laughs> um uh, Aos Duterte <laughs> <laughs> um, Itang Bagsak
0: Maraming salamat Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Bali Song You can reach me at kp at The Instagram and Twitter handle is at thebalisong The voicemail number is 408 408- 800 1556, or leave a voicemail at anchor.fm/slash the volley song. Affirmations, comments, critiques, poetry, everything is welcome. Thanks again for listening. Stay sharp.